As you look at your order of worship this morning, you may notice that we are not in the book of Galatians this morning. We are in the middle of a series on, in Galatians, and I um, fully expect, intend, and hope to return to Galatians next week. I have been enjoying preaching Galatians. But every now and then in the life of the church and in the life of God's people, something comes up and it needs to be addressed. And we find ourselves in that situation today. So we are going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be on the, in the fourth chapter, the first six verses of Ephesians this morning. So if you will stand with me as we read God's word together. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your Word this morning, as we seek its wisdom, as we seek to allow it to shape us and to form us and to mold us as your disciples, as people who follow you, as people who are growing each and every day in Christ-likeness. God, I pray that we would hear the words this morning. And God, this morning, I, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you. And God, if they are not, may they fall on deaf ears. Amen. You may be seated. We are a family. We're a family. We talk about that. We use that language. Scripture uses that language for us. Scripture says that we are a family. We call each other brother and sister. Um, not as much in this congregation as in some, but I know I have been in some congregations where everybody was either brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We're a family. And sometimes families have to have family meetings. And today, this morning, is going to be a family meeting. Now, if you are joining us today, and I know we have a couple of folks, a couple of friends have come to join us this morning, um, you are that friend who is over at your friend's house when, a, when mom and dad call a family meeting and it gets a little awkward. If you're joining us online, same thing for you. You are welcome to be here, and in fact, I hope in seeing God's people and in God's family have this conversation and this family together, we will be a testimony to God's goodness and glory. But we've got to have a family meeting. And brothers and sisters, we have to talk about 
the way we talk and treat one another. I was told this week for the first time about an incident that's happened in this congregation in which a member of this congregation received an anonymous letter from another member of this congregation. Now, the member who received that letter opened that letter and read that letter and found in that letter someone telling them that they were not worthy of leadership in this church, seeing that they were not worthy to to actually be in the church, that they were not as good a Christian as the writer of that letter. I want to be very clear here as we get started. Two things. Two things. First, while this letter is the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, this letter is not the problem. This letter is the symptom and the outworking of a problem. And so while the letter perhaps was the the impetus of this, it is not about the letter. It's not about the person who received the letter, and it's not even about the person who sent the letter. Some of you may know, the, the, the receiver of the letter has not been secret about this, but has also not publicly announced that they received this letter, and so I am doing my part to honor that. But some of you know who received the letter. In fact, some of you may even know who sent the letter. But I want to be really clear, this is not about the recipient or the, or the sender. This is about the, the problem underneath. See, we've done this thing in culture recently where we have a, an, a problem and we treat the symptom instead of the disease. We see young men uh, become radicalized either into to gang violence or into religious radicalism or, or into lone wolf uh, uh, radicalism where they, they walk into a school and shoot a bunch of people and we blame everything. We blame the guns and we blame the religion and we blame the, cult and the, and the, the, the culture of crime and, and we do everything except treat the problem, which is young men growing up in a culture with no hope. We're treating the symptom instead of the problem. So first, I want to be very clear that this letter broke the camel's back, but not on its own. The second thing that I want to be very clear on is this has to stop. Because it's not one letter. Because it's not one incident. You know, it's, it's funny. I've been here for three years, a little over three years. And sometimes I think that y'all forget that I, that I live here and that people talk to me. Because I hear all of the, the whispers and all of the gossip that makes sure I don't hear everything. For example, I was only told about this letter this week. It happened a couple of months ago. So I don't hear everything, and I don't hear everything on time, but I, I hear a lot. And I know that there are all these 
little secret methods of communication and these little networks that, that y'all talk to each other and you gossip about each other and, and everything else. And, and look, it happens, right? We're family. And sometimes you, you talk to one of your siblings about the other sibling. Don't you? I, I wouldn't know. I'm an only child. It's what I've been told. Sometimes you talk to mom and dad about the other sibling, right? Sometimes you talk to the siblings about mom and dad. We're family. It happens. And, and it's not going to end. It's not going to stop. But the, the circular fire squad thing that we've got going on, where we snipe at each other and shoot each other, instead of locking arms and arms and turning out and facing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, has to stop. It has to stop. We're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to be unified. Live worthy. Live worthy of the calling you have received. This are the, these are the words that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, exhorting them to live up to what God has called them to be and to do. And he writes it to them while he is in chains. Live worthy of the calling you have received. With what? How, how do we live worthily? What does that look like? Paul tells us right here. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is, this, is what, this is what the church should look like. And when I say church, I want to be really clear here. When I say the church should look like this, I mean this congregation, but I mean the big C church. And far too often these days, this is not what the big C church looks like. And unfortunately, far too often, it's not what little C this church looks like either. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. You know, there is only one body. Paul tells us that right here. There is only one body. Because there is one Lord, and there is one baptism, and there is one God, there is one Jesus, and he has one body, and we are all a part of it. Whether that means those of us who are here, who are members of this local congregation in Fairmont First Baptist Church, or whether it means our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, or our brothers and sisters in some place a whole lot more foreign than the Ukraine, New Jersey. Look, I'm serious, but we can still laugh. We are one body, one spirit, one God. What happens when your body attacks itself? You're sick, right? I mean, that's, 
Some of you have autoimmune diseases. Some of you, that's what an autoimmune disorder is, right? Is when your body attacks itself for, for no reason. And it's awful. I had, good, I had a good friend in, in seminary who had, who had lupus, and sometimes she would have to be out for weeks at a time because her body would, would attack itself. Attack, the body attacking itself is a sign of disorder. It's a sign of disease. It's a sign of unhealth. And when we attack one another, when we attack one another, and I'm not talking about holding one another accountable in love and in charity. You know that. We talked about that last week. I'm talking about attacking one another. I'm talking about running all over town, handing out copies of letters to people. I'm talking about, I'm talking about going behind each other's backs and, and talking about each other. You know, I know when Sean was here, Sean received an anonymous letter. I know how he dealt with it. He addressed it from the pulpit. Here's how I'll deal with it when you send me an anonymous letter. I won't just address it from the pulpit. I'll read it from the pulpit. You got a problem with me. Come talk to me. Sometimes I'm not in my office. Tomorrow I got a lunch meeting down at the beach. Oh man, what a hard life I live. But you know what? If you pick up that phone and you call Trish or you call me on my cell phone and you say, I need to meet with you, I will do everything I can to meet with you at your quickest possible convenience. Some of you have met with me when you don't agree with me. I haven't bitten any of you yet. Most of the time, I have pretty good self-control. Unless a Snickers involved. If you've got a problem with a brother or sister, do the same thing. Come and talk to them face to face. Don't attack one another. Because when you attack one another, you make the body sick. You hurt the body. And guess what? You're part of the body. And so you're hurting yourself. Some of y'all were here on Wednesday night. So some of y'all got a version preview of this already. Because we talked about this on Wednesday night too. And in fact, I wasn't even sure that I was going to address this on Sunday morning and told them that on Wednesday night and they exhorted me to do it. So if you've got a problem, take it up with the folks that were here on Wednesday night. But one of the things we talked about on Wednesday night, let's talk about the way that y'all talk about yourselves. These are all descriptions of this congregation that I have heard from members of this congregation. Being a member here is like banging my head against a brick wall. It's really frustrating because it just feels like we always run all the good people off.
Pastor, I just don't know what to do. I just feel like we just keep letting bad behavior go unaddressed. You know, this congregation has this amazing ability to shoot itself in the foot. That's how you talk about you. Those are all things that I have heard from members of this congregation. Now let's talk about what I've heard from outside this congregation. Hey, what do you know about Fairmont First Baptist Church? Oh, man, they're so snobby. Oh, man, they look down on everybody else. Well, preacher, I'll tell you what. They think they're a word that I will not repeat in the sanctuary. Don't think. A pack of wild horses couldn't drag me to that church. They're hypocrites, they're liars. They think they're better than everyone else. That's how your community talks about you. Men and women that I have met, that I have known in this community who don't know Jesus, who need to hear about Jesus, who will not step foot inside the doors of this church because of that reputation. Now, I happen to not think that most of those things are true. I happen to think that most of those things are a reputation that was perhaps built up in the past, maintained into the present, that isn't entirely accurate. Because here is the thing. If y'all were, in fact, a whole bunch of snobby, snooty, rich, look-down-your-nose-at-everybody, self-righteous, lying hypocrites, I wouldn't be your pastor. Because first of all, you never would have called me in the first place. Because you wouldn't have called this if you were snooty and snobby. Audrey likes to tell people that I only, I only know how to be one person. And that's me. I'm, I'm not an ogre. I I don't have layers. If you don't know that joke, you need to go watch the movie Shrek. It will help your afternoon. What you see is what you get. Okay, the wife nods her head. Here's the real test, the mother-in-law. But also, I'm a man of integrity. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Heck, I'm not even saying that I'm good. I'm a sinner in need of grace, just like everybody else in this room. But I try and live my life with integrity. And I can tell you that if I had gotten here three and a half years ago and found out that y'all were a bunch of snooty, snobbing, lying hypocrites, I wouldn't be here three and a half years later. I wouldn't have pastored you through a pandemic. I wouldn't have loved you. 
I wouldn't have come to the hospital beds. I wouldn't have been at the gravesides. But we have to deal with the fact that that's the reputation. And when we talk about how we talk about ourselves, and then we hear how other people talk about us, maybe we begin to understand where that reputation comes from. I will say this. I will say this. And I want you to understand that I say this as someone who loves you deeply. I want you to understand I am saying this as someone who is trying to convince his wife for us to buy a house here because I don't ever want to leave. (laughs) We have to be honest that this congregation has a toxic culture. I don't know where it comes from. Some of y'all are going to have a much better clue on where it came from because y'all have been here a lot longer. You've lived through a lot more of it than I have. I think some of it comes from some of the pastors that you've had in the past. Here's the thing that you're not going to hear a lot of pastors say. Some of the pastors that you had previously spiritually abused you. to tell a family, I'm not going to do a baby dedication because you don't do things exactly the way I think you should, that's abuse. That's spiritual abuse. Some of it may have to do with the fact that in the past, we were led by some not terribly great toxic lay leadership. I've heard the stories, the four or five men who determined everything that happened in the church. I'm not saying they were bad men. I'm not saying that they had ill intention. But that's not healthy. We've got to address this. Do we want to move forward? Do we want to be a healthy church? Do we want to be a church that that boldly proclaims the gospel to the corners of the earth? I think we want that. The reason I'm here is because I think you want that. Brothers and sisters, this is not the cathedral on the corner. This is a forward operating base on the only battle that matters. The battle between the Lord and the enemy. This is not a museum to be preserved. This is a hospital and a triage unit to bring in the broken and the hurting from the world around us and treat their wounds. This is a mass unit. And, and let's talk about, let's think about that for a second. Many of you, you're of the age that you probably watched the show MASH. How did they work? They worked because everybody had a part to play, right? And they yelled at each other, and they fought each other, and, you know, Winchester and Hawkeye would go at it, and, and all of that sort of stuff. 
But when Radar heard the choppers coming in and he got over the PA and he let them know that wounded were coming in, what happened? Everything stopped. And they ran to the OR to take care of those boys that were coming off the battlefield. We can yow at each other and we can disagree with each other. In fact, I want us to because I think we'll be better for it. I think we'll be healthier for it. Man, I want us to have a culture in this church where we sit down for a church business meeting and we've got people who are standing toe-to-toe to each other, disagreeing with each other deeply because they're passionate about what we're doing and, and, and care about what we're doing. But when we walk through those doors, we walk through those doors arm-in-arm linked on mission for God. This congregation has unlimited potential. It's got unlimited potential. And here's the thing. Some of you can't see it, and the reason you can't see it is because of what I was saying, because you've been spiritually abused. Because you've been led to believe over and over and over again that you're not good enough, you're just a small town church, you're just a country church, there's nothing that you can do. Because because from the time Pastor Rich retired until the time I got there, you had either been a stepping stone to further ministry or a stepping stone to retirement. That's how you were seen. And that's how you came to see yourself. That's how Fairmont has come to see itself. We're nothing. We're just, a, we're just a small town, a blip on the map. Nothing of importance happens here. Some of the finest people I have ever met in my life live in this town. Are in this congregation. And y'all, we have unlimited potential. Anything we want to do, we can do. Y'all want to build a church in the bush in Africa? This congregation can do it. I don't know how we're going to get from point A to point B, but I know that we'll get there. Anything we want to do, we can do. If we decide that we're going to do it. I've spent a long time praying about where God is taking this church. For vision so that I could come to you and, and cast vision to you in some wonderful way. But here's the thing. This is life. And the vision's not done. And this isn't some polished presentation. But here we go. Fairmont First Baptist to be a healthy, thriving congregation that serves the people of South Robeson County well. And then to be a center, not only locally and regionally, but also nationally and internationally for rural church revitalization, replanting, and planting. Because here's the thing. The guys that are doing a lot of that work, they're great guys, and they all live in places like Raleigh. And not a lot of them live in places like Fairmont and Robeson County. But here's the thing. There are a lot more places like Fairmont and Robeson County in the world than there are places like Raleigh. 
to be a people who once again put Fairmont in Time Magazine. Biggest little tobacco town in the world, right? Is that Time or Newsweek? Nobody remembers. But let's do it again. That's what this church can do. This church could be a global impact church for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The potential that rests here is unlimited. I want us to be people who are so deeply and passionately in love with God that I can't keep you away on Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning. I want us to be a people who love each other well, who are in and out of each other's homes, sharing meals, I hate this expression, but sharing life together. My vision is that no person in Fairmont, no matter their age, no matter their gender, no matter their race, no matter their their income level, no person in this town would be lonely. Because Fairmont First Baptist would be there to love them and care for them and invite them over for dinner. You know, they always tell you when you cast vision, you should, you should do it in, in, a tight, in a, you know, a tight few words so that people can catch it. I don't have a tight few words. Fundamentally, fundamentally, what I want us to be is what this book, God's Word, tells us to be. This, this is my vision for Fairmont First Baptist Church. You've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again. Within three miles of the front door of this church, there are 3,500 people who are lost and do not know Jesus. That means there are 3,500 people within the front doors of this church this morning who, if a meteor were to fall from the sky and just decimate that three-mile radius, would die and go to hell. 69% of the people within three miles of this church don't know Jesus. That is why it is important that when we walk out those doors, we are linked arm in arm on mission for God. To carry his word, his message, his gospel, his glory, his son to people who are banged up and blown up and shot up by sin and by death and by the brokenness that rests out there. Some of those 3,500 people, some of those folks are your sons and daughters, your grandkids, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you love. Some of those folks may even have their name on the membership role of this church. 
Because church membership doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. Relationship with Jesus Christ saves you. Pride doesn't save you. Self-righteousness doesn't save you. Thinking that you're better than everyone else doesn't save you. Jesus saves. That's what we've been doing in Galatians. The gospel. The gospel alone. Jesus alone saves. Not Jesus plus. And certainly not plus on its own. We have to decide. As a church. We have to decide today. Today. Right now. What kind of church we're going to be. Are we going to be unified and humble and gentle and patient and bearing in love and peace? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to continue to be toxic and proud and self-righteous and sinful? That's it. Those are the choices. I, I hate when someone says that if something is an A or B choice, there's always a C. There's no C. This time there's no C. Are we going to be the church that God has called us to be? Or are we going to refuse to serve the one true God who, while we were yet sinners, died for us to bring us out of the Egypt of our slavery to sin and death? That's it. Those are our choices. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a few minutes of prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for a few minutes, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together, blessed be the tie that binds. We sing that when we take communion. Because communion is us coming around a table as one family together. But today we're going to do something different. We're going to sing all four stanzas. And then when we're done, we're going to walk out. I'm not going to close us in prayer. But right now, I need you to decide. And if you want to do it there, if you want to pray there, if you want to come up here and pray, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I want you to pray. And figure out who you are going to be and who this church is going to be from this moment forward. And in the past, we're going to leave everything in the past. And moving forward, we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. I invite you to pray now.
is that we would be a people who would seek your face. That we would be a people who served you, who loved you. God, my prayer this morning is is that we would be unified. That the wounds of the past would be healed. That the bitterness and acrimony of past hurts would fade away. That your healing balm would cover us. That your blood would wash us clean. And that we would serve each and every day you. Your mission. Your glory. Your church. Yours. Not ours. This evening, um, we are going to have, instead of what we were planning on having with discipleship training, we're going to have a time where you can come and pray, where if you want to come and talk, if you want to come and just be here and seek God. And we're going to do that for a while on Sunday night. Set of lectures. We're going to have prayer. And pray for revival and repentance and awakening for ourselves and for our community. Seven. Deacons meeting is at six. That will be at seven. And I would ask the deacons that are planning on being here tonight if you wouldn't mind tonight planning on staying. If you can't, I understand. I am springing this on you at the last minute. But if you can, please. We're going to stand together, and we're going to sing together with one